Good morning, everybody. Well, as you've heard, Pastor Paul and his family had a big weekend. Um, And I hope you've had a big weekend, but he's been away, and many of our folks who have known Josiah and grew up with him are probably up there around Maine somewhere as well. Nisi, thank you a lot for that song today. Um, Most of us that are Christians can associate with how we know in our heart that he has paid our ransom. I have to begin with a a little story. Uh, In fact, it's a true story. It was on an old television show. Mr. Art Linkletter used to have a variety show on television. And if you've heard him, we, we go back in time. But Art Linkletter would end his show with a few minutes that he called Kids Say the Darndest Things. And he would have the children come up to the stage or wherever he was. And he'd sit down on the floor with them. But it was his questions that made the parents squirm in their seats. And one time he asked the children, before you came up here, what did your mother tell you? And he had two or three responses. And one little boy said, My mama told me not to scratch no matter where it itches. (laughs) So today, I make a promise to you that I will not do that. But more seriously, you get up here at this place at this time in our service, and the big concern hits you. And that concern is not to misrepresent God, not to misuse the Scripture, and not to discredit the Holy Spirit. And Pastor Paul has told us more than once that unity with God is a big deal. Very big deal. But probably nowhere we will ever turn has unity better described and shown and God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit. They, they really do work together, as we all know. Today, we're going to look at, can I put on the Holy Spirit? How, how do I go about doing that? How, how does the Spirit work in my life? And... Spirit is especially there in the young people. I think maybe half our group today could be young people, which is great. But you know, children, they put on their backpacks, going to school or coming to church. We've seen some young persons here at the church. They bring their backpacks, put all their valuables in it. They're ready. And when we get ready to do something at the beginning of the day, whether we're leaving home or whether we're going to stay put, we put our clothes on. So we put on the clothes that are appropriate for our task. So how do we put the Holy Spirit on? 
So we're going to look at two or three foundations first. And then we're going to go sailing so that we can observe the wind in our sails. And I, I think you'll get a picture of that as we go. But I'll warn you that we're going to be scattered throughout the New Testament. It's not going to be one place you can turn and here it is. And I'm going to read verses to you that would explain different aspects of what we're trying to do here tonight. I'll give you part of the part of the reference. I might tell you which chapter it's in. And if you want to examine that, you can do that. But what I really would like you to do, it's like being on a trip. It's like going on a voyage, which we are going to sail here in a little bit. It's important to observe what's going on. So I would like you to try to connect the verses that are read to what the Holy Spirit might be doing in your life. You know, at any particular time, we take a group this size. Different ones are going to be in a a very comfortable pattern of life or a very comfortable day or two. Others are facing real trials for a day or two, maybe for a longer time. And any range of things in between. So the important thing would be what's read what handle do I need? Where, where can I go with it from something that the Lord would have? Just like you would any other Sunday morning. So, I'm going to read three places. Do we put on the Holy Spirit? What do we do? The first one. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Romans chapter 13. I probably should give you verses too. 14. The next one, for all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. Galatians 3.27. And the third, lay aside the old self, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness. Ephesians 4, 22, 23, 24. So, it does look like we're to put on something. Putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it could very well include putting the blood of Jesus Christ on us. That's what pays our ransom. Baptized into Christ, it seems to be referring to what happens on the inside, not just being baptized with water. We've already clothed ourselves. Lay aside the old self, the spirit of the mind, And it seems like the pattern of where we're headed is very much a continuation of John Lerzema's Sunday school class, which he touched more than once on what the Holy Spirit should be, could be in our life. 
And the other thing is, whatever we put on, other people are going to see. Whether we put on too little or too much, but people are going to see what we put on. So it is going to be true that however we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, put on the Holy Spirit, it's going to be seen. And that probably gets to one of the Lord's main activities with humans. He says he desires for all men to come to a knowledge of the truth. So unless I get the big head, yes, I have the Holy Spirit. I have the blood of Jesus. Unless I get the big head, I need to be reminded that what I have needs to be seen by someone else. And their interests are also at the heart of the Lord. So, two other places to settle before we go on this sailing voyage. Where is the Holy Spirit to me if I'm not a Christian? If I'm an unbeliever, before I have come to Christ, where is the Holy Spirit? And it seems like He would be an occasional visitor. Because how else would I ever come to the Lord in the first place if He didn't visit me through Bible verses, through a message, through someone else? So there are three verses I'd like to read. No one can come to me, this is Jesus speaking, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So God has to draw us to him and someone else. It is the Spirit who gives life. So that's about as basic as it gets to the Christian walk. That's John 6.63. And then finally, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. And that is John 6.65. So isn't it great news that God wanted me? God wanted you. We think sometimes that we make the decision to accept Jesus Christ. But God wanted us in the first place. And we responded. Now, the other place for the Holy Spirit would be after we become a Christian. Where is the Holy Spirit at that time? And it seems to be that He is a permanent resident. That doesn't mean we can be in the house with four or five people and we are really a unit with everybody in the house. We can be living with somebody who is a stranger. But the Holy Spirit appears to be a permanent resident. And here are verses I'd like to read there. And I will ask the Father, this is Jesus speaking again, I will ask the Father, He will give you another helper, that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. With you forever. 
John 14:16. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were, were sealed. Ephesians 1.13 So, either an occasional visitor or permanent resident, we, we have some decision in that matter. Now, one other thing that seems to come about when we look about the Holy Spirit and start digging a little bit is that we cannot know all of the Holy Spirit's movements or purposes. I mean, after all, if we did, where would there be room for faith? We cannot know all of His movements and purposes. And this is where we leave our foundation and begin our sale. And I want you to hear this one. This is one verse about movement of the Holy Spirit. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So wind is compared to the activity of the Holy Spirit. And so with that in mind, we're going to lift our feet from the ground and we're going to go sailing in order to observe the wind in our sails. Now, we're not boarding a cruise ship, and we're not boarding a small sailboat that's out there for weekend sporting events. We're going to be boarding a British warship sailing in the year of 1805. Back in those times, wind was the only source of movement on a sailing ship. It's a three-mast vessel, which is a big sailing ship. A crew, I found this hard to believe, but a crew of 197. 28 guns. That's 14 on this side and 14 on this side. And those guns were actually small cannons. So we're... Where does all this take place? Well, actually, it happened in a movie. Master and Commander is the movie. And I'm not here to uplift the movie, but when I watched this show, it indicated some things to me about sailing I was not aware of. And the more I thought about it, how it can refer us to our walk. Or in this case, our sail with the Lord. So, I need to set the scene before we continue on. So this British warship was given the task, and this was during the time of Napoleon expanding his powers, was given the task of going for this ship, which Napoleon used... It was called a privateer. So it was hired by the military to rob and confiscate enemy shipping and to carry the war further places. And what they wanted to do, the object of this French vessel, 
was to carry the war on into the Pacific Ocean by way of South America. Well, what interested me in the first place about a movie on the ocean was navigation. How in the world do these fellows navigate the ocean? I've never been out here on the ocean where I couldn't see land. And these guys don't actually go out there and not see land for weeks or months at a time. They navigate their way through many different means. Yes, they had, at that time, they had a sextant. That's a device where, through a series of mirrors, you view the horizon, which on the ocean is a long way out there. <clears throat> and a heavenly body like the sun or the North Star. And that angle gives you latitude. Longitude was a little more difficult because it demanded exact timing and other things. The other item that you have is a compass, magnetic compass. And many of you have probably seen or used one. Um, now we have them, they're handheld. And if you'll notice, of course, the magnetic compass always points to magnetic north. But the needle has to swing free. If the needle is caught on the housing of the compass, it's stuck. It's not going to give you the right reading. And you can imagine on a ship with a compass, things are moving all the time. A little handheld compass isn't going to work. So if they had one at all, it was a bigger variety with a bigger needle and kind of a floating system in the inside. A compass will work in cloudy weather like we have today. A sextant would not. So that adds another dimension. And of course, we can be standing. Can you hear me over here okay? Okay. We can be standing outside on a sunny day. If I put my right hand where the sun comes up, my left hand will be where it sets. And I'll be looking north and my back will be facing south. But when you're doing that on a ship, and especially if the sun is up in mid-sky, well, where does my right hand go? And on a warship, you have to know at any time of day or night where you are and where your enemy is. So I can't explain to you everything they use for their navigation, but they really knew their stuff. Now, one thing unusual about this crew was that they had, I would say, some 12 and 13 and 14-year-olds on this crew dressed in uniform. So what they would do, they would have these youngsters who were being trained to be seamen and captains and lieutenants. They would bring them out at an early age, I suppose, if their parents would let them. And they would learn sailing. They would learn military sailing. Okay. The bulk of the crew were seasoned men, sailors. They'd done it before, been properly trained. They also had one or two old fellows that weren't any good for rowing or sailing or climbing ropes. But they had been through these seas before. 
And they knew some of the undercurrents. And they knew where the coral reefs might be. Now, you take our church here. We have children. We have parents. We have grandparents. Sometimes we have great-grandparents. The children have the energy they want to go. If you mention you're going to a trip or a vacation or whatever, they're already in the car. It's up to the parents to make sure we have enough supplies, gas in the car, things taken care of at the house before. In other words, all of the details. And sometimes you'll be traveling and there'll be a grandparent along and maybe they're not involved in the preparation and maybe they don't show the excitement that the children do. But if they've been to this location before, you've got an experienced traveler. So even in a church, there are a variety of duties. What does it say? The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one as the Lord wills. So we need the youthful encouragement. You can see them getting in the car. They're ready to go. Maybe not packed up. Mother says, hey, did you remember your toothbrush? Oh, Mom, go back and get it. The father says to the mother, did you turn the stove off? Oh, my God. Go back and check it. And the kids are thinking, we will never get out of here. We will never leave. So the trip continues. And on board the ship, you have cooks. Could be one of the most important people. We think the captain is, but the cooks. You have rope makers. What happens when ropes need to be repaired? Carpenters, they had a battle. Holes were blown in the hole. It took these men working very quickly to plug these holes. Gunners, sharpshooters from up top. And they needed a surgeon or two. Because when you leave the harbor to go on this voyage, you're not going to see your homeland for weeks or months at a time. If something should happen, especially if you're in a battle, you've got to have a surgeon. So there are duties for everyone on board. Now, aside from the sails, we were up in Philadelphia visiting our oldest girl about three years ago. It was up in Philadelphia. So we decided we would go out to the harbor, which I believe is the Delaware River. Okay. And to my surprise, on dock at one of the piers was a vintage sailing ship. And if I'm not mistaken, it had three masts. And of course, when a sailing ship is docked, they have to furl or roll up the sails because should a big wind or storm come, it could throw that sailing vessel right into the dock and damage it. So, no sails were up at this time, but the thing that I noticed so so much was the hundreds and hundreds of feet of rope that were on the ship. 
And see, it's the ropes that, you know, you have the sails, and you unfurl the sails to get the wind. But the ropes are what carry the sail and shift it to the direction you want to go. Now, I brought three different size ropes here I want to show you. And, of course, every sailor needs to take his sack of all of his goods. You had the smaller ropes that were used as handles to all the other ropes that worked for you. Because some of those were out of reach. So it took smaller ropes to do that. Then you had the working ropes that were everywhere on the ship doing all sorts of things. And then you had the bigger ropes, kind of like this size, that may have been used to lash the cross arms or the spars to the mast. And the biggest ropes were probably reserved for the anchor, raising and lower the anchor. So the ropes were, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't do anything without the ropes. Now, how would, this, how would this have anything to do with our life? Well, my observations are one thing, yours are another, yours is just as valuable as mine, but I would observe that every vessel has a mast, the cross arms, the sails. Perhaps that is where our decision making is. Perhaps that is where our will is. Now, when we when a ship catches the wind, what it does with that wind is it is up up to the captain, up to the crew. What we do with the wind of the Spirit is up to us. You have good winds and bad winds. I guess for a seaman, a good wind is the wind that's going to carry you in the direction you need to go. With a little bit of rudder work or something like that, it will carry you where you need to go. But a bad wind would certainly be described as one Although it's blowing strong, it's carrying you in the wrong direction. And so how do you know what's the right direction and the wrong direction? Well, it depends on your navigators. And if we're a new Christian, it's like a new crewman. We don't have all of the navigational talents that we could have later. If we're an older Christian, we have more to draw on. But what about the ropes? It seems to me the ropes would be the scripture that we would use for the various tasks we need during our voyage. You know, there's Psalms, there's Old Testament, there's the letters of Paul, there's the Gospels. So depending on the need at the moment, might determine what rope, what verse, what passage we need at the time. Now, 
if we spend no time in the Bible, or very little, or don't give it our full attention, then we don't have very many ropes to use. And the new Christian, I remember, and we're going back in time now, we're talking 50 years, on the school campus, a fellow was sharing a few Bible verses with me. I had the occasion to watch him. And without knowing him, knowing much about him, I observed that he was the same no matter what crowd he was with. And that was enough to make me want to listen to the verses he wanted to show me, which simply were, we've all sinned, fall short, Jesus is our bridge. Now, it was only a few days after that, boy, I woke up in the middle of the night, doubts and everything else were all over me. What is this all about? I I didn't have any ropes to draw on. The only thing I knew, I went and knocked on their door, middle of the night. He and his roommate were good enough to open up, and once they got wakened, they spent a little time with me, had a prayer with me. That was enough for that particular evening. So, it's... Now, regarding ropes, here's one for you. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate for every good work. That's Second Timothy three sixteen and 17. Now, we're on voyage and in pursuit of the French vessel, we now have to go around the southern tip of South America, Cape Horn. Cape Horn is the closest continental landmass to the Antarctic. It's just that close to cold and warm waters meeting together. And the storms, they tell me, are terrible around Cape Horn. You can have a fine day. The next day, it could tip you over. So they're down in Cape Horn. Now, in a storm, let's think about the storms of our life. In a storm, do you want the sails out? No, you don't want the sails out. Because it could actually blow over the ship. Those masts are very high and there's a lot of wind resistance there. So they know to furl the sails, to roll them up. To keep from wrecking, shipwrecking. Storms, they're bad news. And once we've been through a storm, we, we could give up. It could be too much for us. But if you're at sea, you only have one choice. Yeah, you could give up, but there's nobody else out there to help you. 
So you have to repair the damage. And storms of life are going to cause us some damage. You have to repair the damage that you can. Put the sails out for the winds, the good winds, and sail on. And then the other thing is about storms. Storms can happen when we are on the right course through no fault of our own. But storms can happen when we diverge from the right course and we actually place ourselves in the storm. Um, We're talking about navigation. All right, let's say you have a true course. And let's say you're off one degree, which isn't much. That's only one gradient on a usual compass. One degree. If you go, let's see, if you go a thousand feet, you're off 17 feet. If you go one mile, you're off 92 feet. If you go 10 miles, you're off 921 feet. If you go 20 miles, you're off, let's see, if you go 100 miles, you're off 9,210 feet. So, you get off a little bit, the further you go, the greater the difference. Now, if you're on the ocean and you realize you're off, you just turn 90 degrees and go right back to where you need to go. But if we're on land, which most of us are, there may be no roads going 90 degrees. You might have to come all the way back lose all of that time, and then head on the right course. So, young people, because you'll have many more choices to make than us old ones, if you're with your buddies and your friends and they um, want to take a trip and want you to go with them, everybody's in one car, Maybe you have enough ropes to know their intended purpose is not the right way to go. Well, you could get off, not go. But if you don't have enough ropes to know if you're on the right course or the wrong course, you may end up there, not want to be, but you rode with them. There's no ride back. So... You know, another reason to be careful. Another reason to listen to good advice and ask good advice. Then there are, there are other places on the water. One of the sailing adventures they had. I have never been out on the ocean where I could not see land. So all of the ocean I have seen, waves have been coming. We had the good fortune to go out to the West Coast a couple of years ago, look at the big redwood trees, but we went to the Pacific Coast also. Well, waves crashing into the shore, you know. doesn't have to be a storm. This is every day, all hours of the day. They were sailing in the tropics around the equator. And this particular time of year, I'm not sure what time it was, 
You look out on the water, it was like a sheet of glass. There was no water movement, nothing. I didn't know the ocean could be that way. There was nothing there. No movement. No wind. No waves. Now we've been suffering from heat. But these guys had nowhere to go. There was no relief in sight. No waves, no wind, no clouds, no rain. That means no fresh water. And one, Jesse lent me a book about some sailing way back years ago in Portugal. They were quite a sailing country. One of the things they loaded on board before they left Besides barrels of this and barrels of that, were barrels of vinegar. And I'm thinking, good golly, you can't make pickles out on the ocean. But the vinegar was used later when their fresh water was no longer fresh. It was on board, it was the only thing they had to drink. They had to mix vinegar with that water. Now, you'd have to be very thirsty to drink that, but I guess you have to. So, storms in life are not the best thing, but they can produce some very good things. And one of the things is to draw us back to the Lord. And some of us will face bigger storms, causing more damage than, than others. But in the midst of the storm, the Holy Spirit never leaves. Now, these fellows sailing on the tropics, no no rain, for days on end, no motion. The wind did come back at the right time. They sailed on. But remember, the Holy Spirit is a permanent resident. He doesn't leave when there's no wind. He doesn't leave in the storms. Okay. Bad winds and bad spirits. Here are a couple of verses for you. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. If I'm a youth, the chances of me being carried away by every wind of doctrine hopefully is greater then than it should be now. But you have some adults that are still carried around by every wind of doctrine. Ephesians 4.14, that was. Here's another one. These men are those who are hidden reefs in your love feast when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, Carried along by winds. That's Jude verse 12. And the other thing about sailing, you know, the captain and crew could be on due course for days, sometimes weeks at a time, without seeing any land. 
but it's important to keep your navigation going. So we can be we can be in portions of our life where we don't see any land for days or weeks at a time. But it's important to keep on course. So you see, we walk by faith, not by sight. Yeah, it's very helpful to have positions on land. But sometimes we don't have those. And then we're going to close with, I don't know if this has been very organized or not, to be honest with you. But how does the Holy Spirit work in our life? It seems that, yes, there are instances where without reading any scripture, something happens, someone says something, whatever it is. And as we think about it, that came from the Holy Spirit. But more often than not, the Holy Spirit's activity within us is going to be geared to the Bible. It's going to be a combination of efforts there. I think it was Pastor Paul that said one time, we don't just read the Bible, the Bible reads us. So, here's something for you. This is portions of three or four verses. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. That's, that's the combination that makes the Bible different. Because it is geared to the Holy Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. So, I warned you we were going all over the place. And now we're going to have... Noah and Nisi and Dakota come on back up here and lead us in some more songs.